again. Uh, it's always important to have uh, the Bible open as we read it and as we hear it taught, uh, but it's just that little bit more important today as our goal tonight is to work through that whole reading. Uh, we're going to move fast sometimes, we're going to move slow sometimes, uh, and it will help you to have it there in front of you. Your outline will help you as well. But now we're going to pray. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you that you are calling a people to yourself through faith in your Son. We thank you that we see that here in the book of Acts, and we thank you that we are the result of that as well. And we praise you for the salvation you've won for us in Jesus. Please help us now to be encouraged and built up by what we see in these chapters and help us to follow the example of these faithful men and women. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who are the Christians that you look up to? Uh, who are those that you, in your faith, have looked to to know how to follow Jesus and live for him? Uh, I have many of those people. An older man named Bill who, when I was 19 years old, he took the time to, to meet with me, read the Bible with me, and, and ask me about my faith. Uh, another man named Ed, he showed me uh, what it was to live a sacrificial life of service and, and ministry and loving others. Uh, my mum and dad, they pers they've persistently served Jesus for more than 30 years, and I've seen them as a great example. Today in our passage, Paul is in Macedonia, and in other parts of the Bible, Paul says that the Macedonians are the example to all the other Christians in the world. Did you know that? Hopefully by the end of today, we'll see that. Uh, but first, we're going to get our bearings again in the book of Acts before we get into our passage. We've been following the adventures of the Apostle Paul as he goes around preaching the gospel and planting churches. But he took a little break from that when we saw him last week because there was a controversy in the church. Paul and Barnabas uh, and the apostles, they met in Jerusalem with uh, the Christians there, the elders of the, the church, to discuss that debate. If a Gentile becomes a Christian... If they follow Jesus, do they have to be circumcised in order to be saved? Do they have to follow all the Old Testament law? The decision was a clear no. We, sinners, Jews and Gentiles, are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Praise God. It is not by our works. We can't earn our salvation. Then on Paul went with the task of preaching that message. And so he sets out from Antioch on his second missionary journey. We saw that just at the end of our passage last week. So he sets off this time with Silas, another famous preacher in the New Testament. And he goes to the churches that they've already been to before, to Syria and Cilicia and then to Derbe and Lystra. Uh, he's been there before. Along the way, he grabs Timothy, uh, one of the other most famous men in the New Testament. And so Paul, he encourages the Christians in these places the churches were strengthened in faith. They grew in number. And Paul, well, he keeps traveling through Galatia and Phrygia, uh, and this is all in modern-day Turkey for us, until we reach our passage today. It's at this point, as we reach our passage today, that Paul and his mates encounter some problems. But they're not the same problems that they faced before. They're not the problems of persecution or false teaching no, they're different problems. So we're going to get into our passage. Uh, please come with me. We're going to see Paul's ministry in Macedonia uh, with Silas, with Timothy. Uh, but first we need to see how they get to Macedonia. This is our first point. But it because it seems that Paul actually didn't intend 
to go to Macedonia. Look at the problem that they faced. Chapter 16, verse 6. Look there with me. It says, They, uh, Paul and the boys, uh, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and were prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in Asia. That's West Turkey for us. Then they came to, when they came to Mysia, that's northwest, they tried to go in Bithynia up north, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. God, the Holy Spirit, is stopping these men from proclaiming Jesus in these places. How, we don't know. It, does, it doesn't even say. But it does say why. We discover why. Why is the Holy Spirit stopping them? Read on. Uh, as we go, we see that they reach a place called Troas, which is up there further west. This is a port city, and it's on the sea. And once they get there, they go to bed that night, and then... It's then that the Holy Spirit reveals why he's been stopping them and moving them west. Have a look at verse 9. During the night, a vision appeared to Paul. A Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to evangelize them. See, why did the Holy Spirit stop them? They tried to preach in Asia, in Bithynia, but God had another plan. He wanted them to go to Macedonia. He wanted them to go into Europe. Now, there's a few lessons here for us to think about, and the big thing is this. God might guide his people in different ways, but ultimately, he does whatever he pleases. See, it's important that we are careful how we apply what's happening here to us. We don't know how the Holy Spirit... Uh, prevented them from speaking in those places. And so, for us, it's not wise for us to point to our circumstances in life and say, oh, look, clearly God wants me to do this or he doesn't want me to do that. That's a dangerous thing to say. No, we need to make sure we're reading and listening to the Scriptures, not our inner hunches. God guides us by his clear word. Uh, He shows us how to live for Jesus. But Paul, he does get a vision here, doesn't he? And it's true that Paul, more than 99.9% of Christians, he had visions and revelations given to him by Jesus. He's an apostle. He stood out in that way. But what people often don't notice is that the visions stood out even for Paul. They didn't happen all the time for him. They were occasional. They happened here and there. The rest of the time, what did he do? He used his reason. He used his gospel wisdom to work out where do I go and who do I speak to? In fact, Paul intentionally played down the fact that he had visions and revelations because he didn't want people's faith to be based on him. He wanted them to have faith in Jesus because of the gospel. And so you can see here that they, Paul and his mates, this is the other thing that happens, is they test the vision. See, in verse 10, it's not enough for just Paul to have a vision. In verse 10, it says they concluded together that God was calling them to Macedonia. They discussed it. They worked it out. This is another thing for us to take from this. There's wisdom here for us. If any of us think that we have a word from God, or if any of us have a big decision to make in life, what do you do? You use your mind and you pick up the word of God, the written word of God, the scriptures, and use the wisdom that is there. You test all things against this, and then you share it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are open to be challenged by them. 
that ask them whether the decision that you want to make is actually the best decision, the godly decision. But even bigger than that, uh, what this shows us is that in the end, God does whatever he pleases. Do you think that you can understand and discern all of God's will for today, for your life? Do you think you can stop what he ultimately wants for you in this world? See, we've been reading Ephesians in our gospel teams, our small groups during the week. In chapter 1, we've read it just recently, God is called the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will. Don't presume to know all of God's mind. Simply submit to his word and his wisdom and his plans. No one can stop his plans. The Holy Spirit goes and does whatever he pleases and sends these men further west just because he wants to. That's what's happening here. At this point, God wanted Paul to preach the gospel in Macedonia so that he could find those people that God had chosen and appointed to eternal life. And so straight away, off they sail to Macedonia. They pass through some of the towns until they get to the big city of uh, Philippi. So you can see it there, way up in the northwest. Uh, And it's at this point, Paul, he slows right down and he shows us everything that happened in Philippi. Uh, The city of Philippi doesn't exist today, but back in the Bible, it was a hugely important place. Uh, Later on, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, years later, he says about them, You are my joy and crown. He says about them, you are dearly loved and longed for. I have you in my heart, he says. And it seems that this church, more than any other church we meet in the New Testament, was the most generous church. So here, this is the beginning of that church. And we get to see the first people who, get to, who come to know Jesus here, there. And we get some just gold moments on the way. Now, there's a lot here. Uh, We're going to jump through the story. We're going to see the amazing things God did in Philippi. Come with me. The first person that we meet is a woman named Lydia. See, There's no Jewish synagogue in Philippi. Uh, There is, though, a place of prayer near the river for just a tiny number of Jews who worshipped God. So Paul and his gang, they meet with them. They proclaim the good news of Jesus to them. And there, listening, is a woman named Lydia. She's actually not a Jew. She's a Gentile. But she's a God-fearer. She worships God. She's come to know the God of Israel. And in one sense, she's the prime candidate for faith. She knows the Old Testament. She knows the Messiah is coming. But look at how Paul puts it in verse 14. This is one of those stunning verses of the New Testament. A woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul. She hears about Jesus, the Messiah, the Saviour, the risen Lord. He, Jesus himself, opens her heart to hear, to accept Paul's message, to believe in him, Jesus. That is a wonderful moment. Never skate over a verse like that. Because when the good news of Jesus is preached, and it has to be preached, someone has to faithfully proclaim it. It must be clear. Someone has to plant the seed of the word of God. Someone has to speak, but God gives the growth. Jesus, by his spirit, opens the hearts of his people to believe and pay attention to his gospel. Remember that. Remember that and let it humble you. It wasn't because of your intellect that you believed in Jesus. 
wasn't because you were smart enough to believe you were dead in sin. Yet he opened your eyes and he opened your heart to pay attention. Remember that and rejoice in his work in you. So straight away, Lydia is baptized and so is her whole household. Uh, Maybe her servants or her children, we don't know who was there. But all of them were saved that day. That's the Lord at work. This is the very beginning of of God's work in Philippi. It's meant to get us excited. Another person, another household in a new city has come to know the grace of Jesus. Praise God. Doesn't it stir you? Well, then Paul and the boys, they keep up their ministry in Philippi and more amazing things happen. Let's keep moving. As Paul continues to proclaim Jesus, they meet a demon-possessed girl. She's a slave and she makes money for her owners by fortune-telling. Now, we might have all sorts of questions about this girl and her abilities uh, and, and the demon. We can ask you in question time later on. Uh, the point that Luke wants to, us to see is simply the power of Jesus. Look at verse 18. For whatever reason, Paul puts up with her unhelpful chatter for a few days, uh, but then he's just fed up. Verse 18. Paul was greatly aggravated and turning to the spirit said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. Such is the power of the name of Jesus. Satan and his demons stand no chance. What's the lesson? Satan and demons are real, but they stand no chance to the name of Jesus. If you are in Jesus... You have nothing to fear in the spiritual realm. Jesus is Lord. He rules over them. He defeated them in his cross. And then this, this casting out of the demon, triggers a bunch of events that Paul was probably trying to avoid. See, when the slave, girl owners, uh, slave girl's owners realize that they can't make money from her anymore, uh, they're livid. And so they grab Paul and Silas and they drag them to the authorities and they accuse them of being reckless and meddling. And then we get another one of those kind of chaotic frenzies in the book of Acts. And we see this clear picture of what humanity is really like. Look at verse 22. There's no trial, there's no evidence, just accusations, not even clear ones. And so they strip Paul and Silas and they they beat them on the back with rods. And then they throw them into prison, into the deepest cell, and they chain up, chain them up. It's this horrible, unjust event. Now, I'm sure this is not the ideal situation that Paul had planned when he cast out that demon. But this plan is not God's surprise. This, this, is not, this doesn't take God by surprise. No, in fact, it, it is exactly what God had planned all along. Because what does God do with this bleak situation? He uses it for his glory, to draw more people to himself. See, now we get this famous and wonderful story of the Philippian, Philippian jailer. And just look at it again and see how beautiful it is. It starts in verse 25. Look there. What do Paul and Silas do in this situation? How do they respond to how they've been treated? They pray. They sing. They, they can't sleep because of their wounds, because of the, the hard prison floor, because of their fear of what might happen tomorrow and the discomfort of their chains. But still, through the night, they pray and sing the praises of God. It's like we've been seeing in Ephesians, in our gospel team, gospel teams. Paul and Silas know that whatever happens in life, they have every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
And so whatever happens to our circumstances, whatever happens to our bodies even, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Nothing can take those things away from us. So they can't help but sing of the grace and glory of God. And all the prisoners can hear. Imagine hearing that. God uses this situation for his glory. Paul and Silas sing God's praises through their suffering for all to hear. Is there any greater testimony than that? That when God's people, through their suffering, through their struggling, hold on to their faith and continue to give God the praise that he deserves. The world looks on and sees that Jesus is worthy and the gospel is powerful. But it's now that God decides to show his power in another way. It's a prison break time. Everyone loves a good prison break TV show. This is God's version of that. Look at verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer, he's meant to be guarding all the prisoners and when he wakes up and kind of sees what's happened and all the doors are open, he thinks everyone's escaped. And so he thinks, my boss is not going to be happy with this. So much so that he plans to end his own life. But Paul shouts, stop, we're all still here. And the jailer, he's just shocked and humbled. And he knows that it must be Paul's God who's done this. And so he falls down before Paul and Silas and he asks the most important question that you could ever ask. Look at verse 30. He says, sirs, What must I do to be saved? What a question. Every person needs to ask that question. And every Christian longs to hear that question from their friends and family. Isn't that right? Once someone asked me this question, uh, they were new to church, uh, someone had invited them along, and then after the service, I decided I'll be friendly, I'll talk to this person. And the second sentence he said to me was, So what do you have to do to be saved? And I was like, okay, we're talking about this. This is awesome. We're getting straight to the point. Sadly, uh, this person, this man, didn't uh, have an attitude like this man in Philippi. Uh, He was more asking out of interest in what Christians believe. It was kind of just intrigue. I don't know what happened to this person after that day that I met him. But it was still a privilege to share the gospel with him and how he could be saved through faith in Jesus. But this man in Philippi, this jailer, he is ready to hear and believe. Look at what Paul says to him in verse 31. So they said to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. There it is again. That wonderful message of the gospel. We are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. He forgives our sin because he died for us and rose again. How does this man respond to that news? Look at verse 33. How good is this? He, the jailer, took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them and rejoiced. Because he had believed God with his entire household. See, there is the full power of God on display. You think the earthquake was powerful? This is more powerful. This is bringing a man from death to life. But not just one man. His whole household 
Maybe his servants, maybe his wife, maybe his kids. We don't know who was there. But the gospel keeps bearing fruit. And this man, he is totally transformed, isn't he? From guarding them in prison to setting a meal before Paul and Silas. Loving those who have shared Jesus with him. Notice again what it says. It says, right away they were baptized. Uh, Just like with Lydia. For whatever reason today, uh, people often come to faith in Jesus, but then don't get baptized. And sometimes they don't get baptized for many, many years later. Uh, We might be able to point to all the different reasons why that might happen, uh, and maybe that's you. Uh, But can can you see here that that's not the pattern in the book of Acts that's given to us? In Acts and elsewhere, it's you believe in Jesus. Okay, where's the water? Uh, Let's baptize you straight away. And if baptism is a symbol of salvation, of Jesus washing us clean and making us new through faith in him, then it makes sense for that to happen when that faith begins. And as well as that, it's just a wonderful opportunity to celebrate with joy when someone turns to Jesus. And so if you, for whatever reason, it doesn't really matter what the reason is, If you're a follower of Jesus and you still need to be baptized, then make it happen. Talk to us today. Write it down on your feedback slip. Don't delay the joy and the celebration that that symbol is. And it's not like you must be baptized to be saved. We're saved by grace through faith. We've seen that in the book of Acts. And it's also not like baptism is a special next step that you take. No, faith is the big step that you take. Turning from idols... To serve the true and living God, that is the huge transformation, the huge step that each Christian makes. Baptism is the symbol of that step. It's not a step in and of itself. It's a symbol of receiving that grace and believing. So don't delay. Take Jesus at his word. Uh, He says, go and baptize to his disciples. And, And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And I'm sure... I'm just so sure that you and all of us will will praise God together and rejoice when we see you stand up here and receive that wonderful symbol. It doesn't get better than that. Uh, Did you know that uh, next Sunday, there's a new Christian being baptized up at our Bexley North site? Amazing. And next uh, Sunday as well, we're baptizing our boy Eli here in the morning, which is a great encouragement too. So now in Philippi, two households have come to know the grace of Jesus and salvation. And it, and, uh, but it didn't go to Paul's plan, did it? But it clearly went to God's plan. See, this is the birth of, of God's church in this city, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful. Do you rejoice when you read things like this? It may seem like humble beginnings, but this is the mighty power of God at work, breaking into history, shining light into the darkness of our world. The gospel is the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes. Well, all of that happens in the middle of the night. It was a big night. I'm sure they were very tired. Uh, And in the morning, the authorities, they want to wrap things up quietly and quickly. Off you go, they say to Paul and Silas, we don't even care about how we've treated you. Please leave. Uh, And Paul is like, "Um, no. Uh, You beat us in public without a trial. You threw us in jail and... We're Roman citizens. So he plays the Roman citizen card. uh, And the officials, they're now afraid. They apologize. They're shaking because they're like, we don't want want to get in trouble for how we treated you. Can you please leave? Uh, And so Paul and Silas, what do they do? They drop into Lydia's house on the way home, say goodbye to the Christians, and off they go to the next town. Uh, They go off to Athens. 
And that's the, sorry, they go to two more places before that. I'm not finishing the, the sermon quite yet. Um, that's the amazing events that happen in Philippi and how the Lord was at work there. I want to encourage you, actually, in the city of Philippi, uh, that's where the Philippian Christians were. We have the book of Philippians in the New Testament. Why not go away and read this week of the example of those Christians, of Lydia, of this Philippian jailer, of others who came to know Jesus? Uh, Philippians is a deeply encouraging book. Read it this week and see the example of the believers there and how they encouraged Paul. But now we reach our last part of the passage. We're not in Athens in Greece yet. Uh, We're in Macedonia still, uh, in Thessalonica and Berea. Now we're not going to delve into all the details here. I just want to draw out one thing from each of the stories that happens here. So the next town for Paul and Silas is Thessalonica. And you can still go to this city today and we can look at uh, chapter 17 and see what happens there. So look there, what happens? Things play out just like they have in other places. For three weeks, they preach, the, they preach that Jesus is the Messiah in the Jewish synagogue. And praise God, some of the Jews and many, many Gentiles believe. God is at work. The gospel is bearing fruit. The church is born there. And as usual, what happens? The Jews who refuse to believe, they stir up trouble. They chase them out of town. Well, they, they try to. They actually try to find Paul and Silas. But then we hear about a faithful man named Jason. Jason is the man who's putting up Paul and Silas. He's given him a bed. And the authorities come and try to find Paul and Silas. Uh, and then they find Jason. Because Jason refuses to tell them where Paul and Silas are. He risks his life. He risks his personal well-being. He says it is worth it to to protect Paul and Silas. It's worth it to hold on to my faith in Jesus. If I can just encourage people to know Jesus. You can read more about the example of the Thessalonian Christians in 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Why don't you pick up those books of the New Testament this week and read them. So off Paul and Silas go to the next town of Macedonia to Berea. And today the city of Berea is called Veria. Uh, And something amazing happens in Berea that actually doesn't happen anywhere else. See, look at chapter 17, verse 11. I want you to see this because it actually has to do with with, uh, what happens. See, Paul and Silas preach in the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, and then verse 11, the people here in Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica since they welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the Scriptures daily. To see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, both Jews and Gentiles. See, right there is a model for us. It's why we have our Bibles open. It's why we look down at them when we're looking at it together as God's people. See, these people trusted God's written word. They examined and tested everything Paul and Silas were saying against the scriptures in the Old Testament. And because they knew and because they looked at the, at the scriptures, they were like, yes, of course Jesus is the Messiah. Of course he's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one all of our scriptures have been pointing to. And so they believe and are saved. It's a wonderful model for us. God's word is our source of truth. It's our authority in all things. Be a Berean believer. I pray that all of us would trust and know and examine the scriptures like these Bereans did. 
But again, the unbelieving Jews, they stir up trouble for Paul and he has to flee. So then off he goes to Greece, to Athens. And we're going to see what happens next week when he gets there. Well, let's bring it together and wrap up. You see, the thing about Paul's ministry in Macedonia is that the Macedonian Christians became the examples of faith to all the rest of the world. God had a plan to send Paul there. It wasn't Paul's plan. God made him go so that the gospel would bear fruit and bear fruit in this wonderful way so that these Christians would, would grow up into their faith and then be an example to all the Christians of the rest of the world. Have a look at 2 Corinthians 8. This is what Paul says about the Christians in Macedonia. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. See, the Macedonian Christians, though they were extremely poor, chose to be extremely generous. They begged for the privilege of giving, and so they're a great example to all believers. Well, look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul says, uh, You, Thessalonians, became an example to all the believers of Macedonia and Achaia, that's Greece. For the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia, in Achaia, but in every place where your faith in God has gone out. And there are other places where Paul says similar things about how these men and women were examples of faith to all the world. These Macedonian believers, Lydia, Lydia uh, the Philippian jailer, Jason from Thessalonica, and the scripture-hungry Bereans, and many more unnamed men and women, they became examples of love, of generosity, of faith, of boldness for Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you again to see and to follow their example. How do you do that? Pick up the book of Philippians. Pick up the, the books of Thessalonians this week. See their example and follow it. It is deeply encouraging. And their model and example is there for us to follow. But more than that, doesn't Jesus deserve all the glory for these things? See, it's his gospel and it's his grace that saved and transformed the Macedonian Christians. He's the one who sent Paul and Silas all that way to preach to those people. He was the one who, who opened Lydia's heart to pay attention. He's the one who brought these Macedonians to himself and, and made them like him to the glory of God the Father. And it's the same Jesus who works in us by his gospel. Let's pray that we would be like those Macedonian Christians and live lives of God's glory and growth in following him. I'm actually going to pray a prayer that Paul wrote for the Macedonian Christians. It's up on the screen. Please join in, uh, in saying amen with me at the end. Let's pray. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, may he encourage our hearts and strengthen us in every good work and word. Amen.